You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and this week we're back at Love's Oven in Denver, where I'm going to be talking to Lauren Kaufman, a supervisor and baker at the company, about the more hands-on parts of making marijuana edibles. We're going to talk a lot about butter this episode, and I think I'm going to actually just leave it at that. So, bon appetit. What's your name and what do you do? Uh, my name is Lauren Kaufman and I am the developmental coach at Love's Oven for the bakery department. So you are a baker? Yes. Put very simply. Very simply, Who yes. works in the cannabis business? Yes. So what is your sort of day-to-day? What are, are you making the cookies? Are you overseeing people making the cookies? All of the above? All of the above. I do plan out the production for the day, so I kind of get together with representatives of the other teams, so fulfillment, which is our uh, shipping department, and then uh, packaging as well, just kind of see what we can get done, how we can get priorities over. Uh, so I plan out the production, and then I also help my team execute it as well. And tell me... What are you guys baking at Love's Oven? Um, we're baking as much as we can. <laughs> we're doing uh, different cookies, different bars, so brownies, cookie bars, things like that. And then as well as caramels. And we're starting to try to get into um, a few more confectionery products. So that's kind of our new route that we're trying to take. Uh, yeah, I saw you guys are making baklava bites, among other things, too. Yeah. Those looked kind of appealing to me. <laughs> oh, those are my favorite. Um, they they smell the best, yes. <laughs> yeah, so they've got a kind of a blondie base, blondie brownie base at the bottom. And then we put a, uh, a nut topping with some spices and sugars and then a glaze and crumbled filo dough. So we basically take all the components of a normal layered baklava and put our own twist on it. We use to have a medical baklava, but then once testing came into medical, you can't really control where butter pools. So it became really difficult. So we had to get rid of that product, but it was really fun to make. Oh, and that is that tricky because you have to have it consistent throughout the whole product. Yes. And so a baklava is like, it's going to have all those sheets of, mm-hmm. of dough or whatever. That's going to make it kind of worse. As, unless you eat the whole thing at once, I guess. Right, right, or, right. <laughs> right. Which could be a little much for people. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... How before you were working for Love's Oven, what was your, you know, baking experience? So I started working just in the culinary industry almost 12 years ago, um, back when I was younger. And then I decided to go into the baking and pastry route when I went to school at Johnson and Wales in Rhode Island. I uh, studied there, got my bachelor's degree in baking pastry food service management, graduated with honors, and then came back to Missouri, um, worked my way to different places. I was a bread baker at one. I was the pastry chef at multiple. Um, I helped open a Double Tree Hilton Hotel. Uh, I had a rooftop bar, so that was pretty fun because I had three different menus to design, so that was really exciting for me. And then I've always dreamed of coming out to Colorado and pursuing this dream, and I finally got to the point of... You know, why not? And so. <laughs> the dream being working in cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's something I've been interested. I actually wrote a few papers on it when I was a freshman in college. Oh, really? Yeah. What was what, was it about like cannabis science, the cannabis? What were the papers about? One was more about kind of the social aspect of it and just how it is a new kind of new thing and how we're taking, you know, making pot brownies at your house to really an official professional industry. So I thought that was really interesting. And then the other one was um, more of the science behind it, as well as health benefits and and kind of people taking that route rather than smoking or taking that route to help with, you know, whatever they might need help with that cannabis can help them. Are a lot of people in baking interested in this right now? Is this something like other, like, did you have classmates who thought that or were 
were you sort of a, was this a quirky interest? On your <laughs> I think everyone was interested, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting subject, but I don't know if I had a lot of classmates that were as passionate about it as I was. I was going to say, like, I cook smokeweed. Yeah. <laughs> like, not, but, like, how many were thinking for a career, I guess, yeah. is the question. Like, yeah. So I'm going to ask a sort of dim-witted question, um, but you also, I think, have, have brought it up, so I, I have to, which is, how is what you do now making edibles for, you know, dispensaries different than pot brownies at home? <laughs> <laughs> Um, basically one ingredient is a lot more expensive. Okay. <laughs> um, other than that, you know, uh, that factor plays into, you know, there's no waste. There's no throwing out any extra dough. Um, everything has to be more precise because you're dosing rather than just making a cookie or a brownie. So it is a little bit more precise on that front and then it is more expensive. Um, but other than that, same methods of of mixing, of sheeting, of any of that, everything else is about the same. That's kind of why we try to hire people who have experience because we can teach the marijuana part. We can teach that to you. Um, we need you to already know how to weigh out ingredients, how to mix ingredients, how to properly make a cookie dough um, and things like that. So we'd rather have someone come in knowing that part and then we can teach them the dosing and the infusing the butter and things like that. Interesting. So you're really looking for people who are pros in, you're looking for baking pros. You're, yeah. And the the deal, infusing with THC, that's secondary. That's that's the specialized skill that, so how much, so tell me about your day. Like you come in and you said you kind of will have a meeting to get, you know, assign people stuff. Where, what do you start doing from there? Are, are your hands in the dough or what are you up to? I'm kind of wearing multiple hats. So it all just depends on what's needed from me. Um, but usually what our morning kind of all together, at least as a team looks like, is we're cutting the butter. So we're getting the can of butter and virgin butter depending on which product and what it's dosed at. Um, we're getting that cut and melted together. And then we're musing out the ingredients for each production batch that we have planned for that day. And then we go into execution. Uh, we really strive as a team to try to have everyone well-trained so that everyone can kind of do anything. So if one person needs to take time off, we're able to kind of pick up that slack. So there is a lot of hats that I think everyone wears. And I think that makes us a really strong team. So you mentioned the cannabis butter. Is that how you get THC into all of your products? So most of our products do have can of butter in it. We do. We have started using oils with our concentrated love sister company. So most of our products do have butter in it. And that's kind of where we started from. We really don't want to shy away from that. Um, it's a different, in my opinion, it's a different body high. Oil versus butter. Butter is um, more fat and THC is fat soluble. So people can have a different reaction to eating an edible that is infused with butter versus eating an edible that's infused with oil. So we kind of like to have both. A little bit of both. Yeah. So how do you make the can of butter? Time and temp. I'm not sure how much I can let you know on. <laughs> Is that sort of every edibles company's secret like recipe? Um, pretty much, yeah. You know, I can tell you we infuse the... Um, we've actually developed a new process where we are tumbling keef or tumbling trim. And then we remove the keef from that, which makes a more potent butter. So what does that mean? You're tum let's tell take me through those terms. What yeah. is tumbling trim? So what we're doing is we're buying trim from dispensaries or grows. And, uh, and what that is, is... Trim is what? Yeah, that's all the clippings, um, all the leaves, all of the clippings 
clippings from the plant that's not the actual buds. It might have a little bit of buds in it, and some places do give us some buds, um, but usually it's the parts of the plant that that dispensary or grow is not using. So then they sell that to us. We'll tumble it and get the keef, which is most of the THC crystals that you see on any of the buds and any of the leaves. That'll fall off, so that makes our butter a lot more potent, which in the end makes a better tasting product because we don't have to put as much can of butter as virgin butter. So we'll be able to put more virgin butter, have it not tasting, you know, too much like weed. We really like our product to taste really great. We don't want it to just taste like chocolate and weed. (laughs) You know, we want it to be an enjoyable experience as well um, with flavors. So I'm just, I'm picturing this. So you have a a tumbling machine Mm -hmm. that you have leaves and maybe little bits of bud flying Mm -hmm. around and you're getting the THC, kind of shaking it off that. Yeah. Right. And so the goal is then you you get the THC out by tumbling and then you melt a bunch of butter and mix it together or? Yeah. So I can't give too many details on the process, um, but there is a decarbing step, which you're wanting to put heat to it. You want to activate that THC. So you're taking it from THCA to THC. So that process is just with the keef alone. And then we're melting the the butter with it and kind of using that fat soluble aspect of the THC to really combine with our butter. Then we press all of that out and just have this nice, beautiful green butter. And it's actually green. Mm-hmm. the color so yeah like, yeah not not yellow it's I you know it's okay so, yeah sometimes it varies sometimes it's very dark um sometimes it can be you know this dark brown sometimes almost like a brownish greenish it's always has a green tint to it um but it does vary in colors based on that plant that it started from do you have to account for that when you're actually baking with it like does that butter then color your cookies and stuff only in medical have we really seen that happen and that's just because we have a lot more butter that adds into that. We really haven't seen too much discoloration. We did have a lighter product that sometimes you could see a little bit, but really um, our goal is to not have to put so much of that butter in because one, it, we are able to make more products with a stronger butter as well as uh, it doesn't taste like it, it doesn't look like it. I was going to say that has to be a really tricky thing for just a baking perspective, I imagine, because if you're entire, like, you know, when you're baking, you have to be very careful the amount of butter you put in something. Otherwise, the recipe goes wrong. Right. And if your entire dosage is based on how much butter you're putting it, that has to be a, a real challenge for a pastry chef, right? Or it's, it's a challenge, but I think most people are kind of used to it. I mean, it, it's very, we use the metric system, so we're all about grams. So we're very precise on our measuring, our weighing on all the ingredients, including the butter. So it all comes down to that recipe formulation. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages. But when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash working. Rules and restrictions may apply. So let's go back to kind of what you're actually working with the product. So you you guys, you you start off, you're mixing things, you're mixing the butter with all the, I guess, dry ingredients and stuff. I guess, where does it go from there? Is it just normal baking at that point? Or is there, are there other things that are different from, you know, you're typically making cookies or or brownies the the only thing that would be different is just how precise we have to be with weights because once it gets turned into uh, so we start with the butter and we know how much this butter is this many milligrams as we can say we know we need to turn it into 5,000 pieces so we need to be precise on the weight of all those pieces or else our potency is going to be off it's all about weighing to keep that potency where we need it to be So we go from that butter into the mixing, and then once it's in the dough or batter form, then we have to portion it out based on weight and make sure that all of our weights are 100% before we bake it and make sure that our scales aren't off, anything, any of those problems that could come up. But it's all about weight at that point. So you just have less margin for error than you would in a normal bakery. Yes, definitely. A normal bakery, if you have a little bit of dough at the end, you can throw that away. It's no problem. Here, that's a big problem. That means that whatever amount of dough that is that's missing from somewhere else and we need to find where that's missing from how do you do quality control so we have a few quality checks. We do have a quality team as well. We have a, a member from each department representing the quality side of what they see as the product. So for us, we have a quality check of weighing before we are sending the product over to packaging. So we'll weigh you know, a certain percentage of the entire batch or of the entire tray, if you will, and make sure that all of our weights are on point. If they're not, we pull them and just kind of doing that check as well as we are quality members also does quality audits. Uh, I think she does about 20 a month. So she comes in and weighs every single piece, checks every single piece out, is very detailed just to make sure that are we not, are we missing any problems? Is there any issues that we're overseeing with our current quality checks that we have in place at the moment? Are you ever allowed to taste the actual product on premises? No, uh, we can do a non-infused sample and taste non-infused on the premises, but we cannot taste any infused. You know, you can't work when you're high. It's very against a lot of our rules here. Um, you can actually get fired on the spot for it. That's one question a lot of my friends from Missouri ask me is, well, can you just dip your finger in and taste it? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> so we do, um, what we can do is we can sell, sell it to a dispensary and then come go there and buy it and try it that way. They are currently trying to figure out ways that we can make this happen. So I know that that nothing is settled yet, but I know that there is talks right now of how can we make this abide by all the rules, but also 
possible for us to be able to taste product that is infused before we send it out for customers. So in order to try your own product, you have to sell it first to a dispensary. Yes. That's how the regulations work? Yes. Yeah. And then you have to buy it back from them. Yeah. So it has to go into that loop. No one can buy it from here. No one can take it home from here. Do you have like a dispensary you guys work with where it's like, we're going to sell you a few, you know, a few baklava squares to make mm-hmm. sure they're doing all right on this batch and then yeah. we're going to buy them back for you? How does that work? Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of gone back and forth. It's changed a lot because these rules have kind of, you know, okay, now this is allowed. Now this is not now. Now this is allowed. Now this is not allowed. So at the moment, we do have um, some dispensaries that we work with. It's kind of the same way that we're able to give out bud tender samples is what we do. And so before we release the product, we'll send it out to all the bud tenders so that they can try it and they could possibly better sell it. That's our goal is we want you to like our product because if you like it, you can sell it easier. <laughs> so you're you're weighing the product when you're to make sure it's all even. How do you tell if that cannabis butter is actually evenly distributed through all of it how do you know if you can't dip your finger in yeah (laughs) or that you know into the batter like how how do you tell so one of a a couple different tests that we do one is potency the other is homogeneity and homogeneity is that exact test it's saying is the infusion evenly across the board or at least within, you know, a certain parameter evenly. So that is testing that product specifically and our process as well. So it's making sure that, okay, is this a fully infused from A to B or A to Z, completely even, everything like that. So that's what that test is for is to help us prove that. But also improving processes and us understanding this part is infused and we need to make sure that it gets evenly distributed. And I think just hiring those people that know and understand that um, can really help us in those in those situations. Is that something you're personally constantly checking or to say, okay, like, is this batch even? Is this batch even? Like, what's, is that something that you're paying a lot of attention to or? I pay attention to it whenever I'm training someone, whenever they're new. Once they've got it down, I kind of back off just not to micromanage people. But, you know, I do watch very carefully for that reason whenever people are, being trained. And it's not that they don't know how to mix, but when they are being trained to mix, I definitely watch a little bit closer just to make sure that no errors can be happening and that everything is fully mixed and fully um, homogenized in the each product. If something isn't homogenized, is that a regulatory problem or is it just like a sales problem? That's a regulatory problem because if it's not homogenized, then your potency is going to be off. One cookie could be, you know, eight milligrams and one could be 15. You really don't want that. You want everything to be precise and uniform and consistent. What happens if you guys mess that up? Um, if we mess that up, then we have to waste a batch. So we won't send anything out that we don't believe is 100%. And if we are questionable, so... Um, it's happened before where, you know, maybe we accidentally added too much of one ingredient or we have made a mistake. We then look at it and is this a big enough batch to save and send out for testing? So if something happens that out of, is out of the ordinary, out of what we had tested that product for, we'll send it out as a retest or we'll waste it. It all depends on can we get enough profit to cover the testing costs or is it just going to be cutting our losses? So we walked through your bakery uh, a few minutes back and I was kind of surprised by just the level of technological sophistication is that normal for a kitchen like I mean there you know is or is it sort of industry standard 
Uh, yes and no. I think that, you know, there's bakeries out there that are working with minimum equipment and then there's top-notch bakeries that have the best of the best. So I think we're very fortunate to have the equipment that we have because we're not a, you know, we're not a huge bakery, but the equipment that we have has been able to increase our quality and in, and decrease our labor costs, which has really helped as well. You guys have a lot of machinery in the bakery. How much of it is of your work is actually just like programming stuff and pushing buttons and how much of it is like kind of classic, you know, we think of as baking, like hands in the dough and rolling mm-hmm. stuff out? So I would say uh, machinery is at least maybe 25% and then hands-on would be about 75% on average can vary depending on the product. But, you know, we definitely have changed more into that manufacturing mindset of getting these machineries and helping improve processes and qualities. Like Katana, she's our ultrasonic food tools cutter. She has been able to improve our process. We were cutting by hand and there's room for human error. It also is very exhausting on our chefs. So uh, for us to be able to get her she's made cuts uniform 100 percent, and she's really taken a lot of that work off of uh, our plates how does an ultrasonic cutter so this is like what the brownie this is you're you're pushing the sheet of brownies through this thing i guess yeah so how does that work what does an ultrasonic cutter do exactly so an ultrasonic cutter is basically that blade is moving at ultrasonic speed so it's vibrating very fast you really can't see it but what we're doing is we're flipping an entire tray of bars onto basically a cutting board so that the board doesn't meet metal with metal and katana takes it from there. She trims the edges just a little bit to make those nice and even and then cuts it perfectly one direction, spins it around, cuts it perfectly the other direction. So then all we have to do is take that back out, do our quality checks, um, count, make sure that all the pieces are there and then send them next door. So it's really taken a lot of time out and a lot of uh, energy out of our our day for that. And would you say you guys are more tech heavy than a typical commercial bakery or... Is it normal? I would say that we're more tech heavy than just a just the bakery around the corner. But I think that we are kind of in between those two when it comes to commercial uh, bakeries because they are the ones who have way more products going out the door than we do. So you're uh, not quite like hostess level. <laughs> no, we're not hostess level. Not yet. <laughs> That's the goal, though? That's like, the be, goal. To be able to... The, the Twinkie of... Has anybody ever made a weed-infused Twinkie? Is not that, that I know of. That seems like that's an a great idea. today. Yeah. It loves oven. Should try, let, let me All know. Right. All right. I'll let you know. <laughs> I mean, the, the challenge is on your plate. <laughs> so, okay. So you're you're somewhere in between like the, the huge manufacturing operations yeah. and like a corner artisanal bakery kind of right. thing. Right. So we produce probably more close to the number of uh, an artisanal bakery that doesn't have as much of these machineries. We get the machineries because our product needs to be so precise or else it has to be wasted. It's very a very big necessity to have even cuts, you know, even dosing on the cookies and weighing all of those and making sure that everything is uniform. And that's normally a goal for all bakeries. For us, it's even more important because it comes out to dosing. And if a product doesn't dose in what we had tested it as, we have to throw that whole batch out. Coming back to the pot brownies, did you just, did you like bake with pot? non-professionally like just but like on your own before you got into the industry i may have tried a few uh 
recipes on my own. <laughs> so how long did it take you once you actually started doing this as, as a job? How long did it take you to get used to working with cannabis? I would say it was more intimidating for me at first. You know, before I was working on my own, I had the whole pastry department kind of on my shoulders. And then to come in here and work for a company that I, you know, I knew how to make brownies and cookies and I knew how to make all of that. It was very easy for me, but I was very intimidated about the cannabis side. It was all new and it was very intimidating to me. I didn't want to drop anything. I didn't want to mess anything up because it can be a very big mistake. And if you like overheat the butter, then you've ruined all of the product, basically. Like you you can't salvage that. You you've killed the the THC, right? Yeah. Well you haven't killed it, but you've definitely weakened it. I believe it turns into C B N if too much heat is activated to it. So it takes the THC and turns part of that into CBN. So it it lowers your dosing on the psychoactive part, which is the THC, and then it increases CBN, which I want to say is sleep, or it helps with sleep, or it's known to help with sleep. So it can ruin a product. So uh, your brownie sure. becomes like really expensive, like melatonin. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> If you, I mean, if, if you mess up the butter. Yeah, yeah. At that point, it would either be um, thrown away or you'd have to retest it if you're worried about the potency being different at all. Did you ever have any beginner errors? Were there any kind of mishaps when you were first kind of wading into it? Yeah, I... Uh, um, my first week, I dropped a couple little chunks of butter and I got nicknamed Butterfingers. Oh. Um, so I was, uh, I was very embarrassed, but you know, I moved past it and now, you know, looking back, it's, it's pretty interesting to kind of look back and think about what used to intimidate me. And then now it just becomes second nature, especially like planning production and creating the tags that if I mess that up, that whole batch can be thrown away. So there's a lot more that I'm doing currently that can actually mess up something, but it used to be very intimidating to me. But as you get comfortable with it, it's not as intimidating. <laughs> How do you guys store the butter? Just In the like, freezer. Just the freezer like any other? Yeah. Just big blocks of it? Big, big tubs of it. Yeah. So what we do is we make a batch of butter. We'll allocate it to different products. So A can be, uh, and how we have it labeled out is like an indica would be RI288, let's say. And the R is for recreational, the I is for indica. And then the 288 is just an ongoing count of the different batches of butter. And then after that, we have our uh, product allocation. So that's the letter at the end. So we have RI288A, B, C, D, E. And we'll take that butter and separate it into all of those products and the weights for those products just so we can keep an eye on how much butter we have, how much we should have. We're completely out of you know a product. Is the butter gone for that? Just another kind of step to make sure that we're on top of our game. And... I just think of like a normal bakery, like the butter is butter. Yeah. <laughs> like this is, you can leave it out on the on the yeah. table. It's no big deal. Yeah. If this butter <laughs> melts, you're if a block of it were just like to get left out, you're you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> is each batch of butter a little bit different or is or, or how many different types of butter are you working with in the end? All of our batches are very different. It all depends on uh, the plant that it came 
based from. So if the if it's a very high THC plant, then we'll get a really great outcome with our butter. Uh, but with us buying trim from other people, we don't have as much control over that. So what we can do is improve our process internally. And we have, we've been able to, um, I believe when I started, our butter was coming out to about 40 milligrams per gram. Now we're averaging about 100 milligrams per gram. So we just keep trying to improve our process to make our butter stronger because we don't have control over the plants that we get to start that product with. How do you adjust your recipes to account for the differences in the butter? So the same butter weight is going to be, the butter weight is always going to stay the same. What will be different is the portion of can of butter to virgin butter. So we always have virgin butter in all of our products, but depending on what that butter tests out to and the potency of that, um, say we'll get a certain amount of milligrams per gram. I'll take that and divide it into how many products it is. Most of our products are 100 milligrams per package. So it's all comes down to math. Um, I've definitely gotten a lot better at my math skills since working here because that's really what it relies on very strongly. So you're always using, all of your recipes are going to involve more total butter than they will cannabis butter. Yes. And so it's just a matter of how much of the regular butter that won't get you high also goes in to complement. Exactly. But, but if you have to use more of the cannabis butter, that's going to affect the flavor of the cookie, right? Yes. Do you have to adjust the recipe to deal with that? If we adjusted it, we would have to test it. So sometimes if we are concerned, we'll you know send a small batch out and buy it from a dispensary and taste it that way. Um, so if our can of butter turns out not as strong as we'd like and we would need to use more of it than what we would like to use it for, we'll just save that can of butter for certain products. So we have 100 milligram products and 10 milligram products. So we'll probably save that butter for 10 milligram, which we don't need a lot of the can of butter anyway, since it's such low dosage per per production batch. So it all depends on what it tests out before we even allocate it to a certain product. I got it. So if you have a weak butter, use it for a weaker product. If exactly. you have a strong butter, use it for a stronger product. Exactly. Okay. And that way you can kind of make sure you don't have to play around too much with the actual amounts. Yeah. And that way it keeps um, that flavor in the same flavor profile that we'd like. When you're baking, are you trying to hide the flavor of marijuana for the most part in your cookies and whatnot? Or are you trying to like incorporate that and, you know, make it work as part of the the baked good? I would say we try to complement it more than cover it up. You know, we're not trying to hide what we're selling. So uh, I believe that we try to complement it more than anything else. And usually that is, you know, spice flavors, chocolates, things like that. Things that are strong in their own flavors usually go really well with can of butter. Uh, we don't want to mask it, but we also don't want that to be the most pronounced flavor. What did your parents say when you told them you were going into the weed industry? Uh, my parents were very supportive. I think that they were concerned because I was leaving such a great job to come here. Uh, I, was have, I had all creative control. Uh, I was able to walk in and say, I'm going to make this and it's going to be a special. Um, and I think they knew that that was something I was really passionate about. So that was their biggest concern was, are you going to be happy without your creative, you know, outlet like you normally have. But they were very supportive. They've come and visit many times. Uh, when my dad came and helped me move out here, he actually teared up when he met the owners of this company. I think it was just because he realized, you know, I was in good hands and um, that this was a company that was going to take care of its employees. Do you feel like you ever get to be creative now in sort of the production role or... 
Yes and no, creative in a different way. So finding new solutions, finding new methods, finding different ways to make things better. I have created, um, I created a seasonal product. It's a lemon berry bar. So it's a white chocolate brownie base with uh, lemon juice and dried blueberries in it. That actually kicked off our seasonal line. So we're now doing seasonal products. We've got the lemon berry bar for spring. We have choose love for summer. We have pumpkin spice for uh, fall and then... Um, that was inevitable, I suppose. Ginger, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah was, that had to <laughs> uh, And then uh, ginger spice for winter. Cool. So um, I was very proud to be able to create that product and also the success, success that came with it and the launch of the seasonal items. I mean, I think that that's something that no one else was doing in the industry. And it's something that is a very normal thing in the culinary industry and everyone's about seasonal items and seasonal ingredients. Uh, so I'm glad that I was able to help kind of kickstart that. What is your dream product to bake? Mm. From a production standpoint, I love bars. Okay. <laughs> um, it's much easier to weigh out an entire bar than it is each individual cookie. So for a production standpoint, bars are great, especially now that we have Katana. She's able to cut it nice and evenly for us quickly, and, and they come out so beautiful. I really love making bars. But if you could just, just like, that would make your heart sound like, what is the thing you want to try and make? Mm. I would love to start making more savory products. We do have a cheddar cracker. We have a 100 milligram and a 10 milligram version. Our 10 milligram is a microdose, so it's for people who you know, might want a little less than 10 milligrams than the normal serving size uh, or normal suggested serving size. So that one's one of my favorites to make, to bake. They smell so good. Everyone gets so hungry when they come out of the oven. <laughs> they smell amazing. But it is our only savory one, and there's really not a lot of savory products out there. So I would love to try to tap into that, but uh, we also have to make sure that the market's there for it. Would you ever go back to normal baking now that you've spent time in the cannabis industry? Yes and no. This industry has actually opened my eyes, my personally, my eyes to food science. I've never realized how technical you have to be, especially in a manufacturing industry. And then on top of that, how technical we have to be with the cannabis infusion, making sure everything comes out uniform and precise and exactly as we need it to. So solving problems here kind of led me to that. And so you like that. You you really enjoy the just being extraordinarily, I guess, anal isn't the right word, but you, accurate. Yeah, accurate, right? <laughs> you, 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 you enjoy the precision. I do. I do. Well, because people always, people always say, you know, cooking is art and baking is science. Mm -hmm. This sounds, this seems like this really takes that to the max. Yeah. Yeah. This is like actually science. Yeah. Like, to the point where you're having to like, like measure by millimeters. Definitely. It's, it's easy to make a dessert and get it out to the customer and wait. And as long as there's no complaints, that's all you have to worry about. Whereas in the manufacturing world, you have to be so on top of your game because people might not be eating your products until a couple months later. Um, so you really have to be precise and accurate and have everything down 100%. And that interests me. It's, it's, it's interesting to me fixing errors rather than covering them up. And I think that's kind of what I found and why that became an interest for me. Great. This has been a lot of fun talking. Thank you. It's been great talking to you too. 
That's all for this week's episode of Working. As always, I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please, please, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, uh, you can just send us an email at working at slate.com. I always love to hear your comments and suggestions for this episode, future episodes, any and all thoughts you might have. Um, as always, thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music and to my wonderful producer, Justin and Molly. Until next time, I'm Jordan Weissman.